The Ukraine conflict is the first full-blown war on the European continent since ethnic tensions ripped apart Yugoslavia back in the early 1990s. In this episode of The Reenactor's Corner, we ask why a conflict on the other side of Europe is shutting down World War II reenacting events in the UK. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. This is Chris here again with Ben. How are you doing, Ben? Great, Chris. Great to be back. Uh, We are excited today to have a special guest. He has been on the podcast before, and we are happy to have him back. Ludwig Topf, thanks for coming back on. Great to be on again. So I'm really glad to have the opportunity to chat with you because our topic today is um, basically how the war, the current war in Ukraine has affected reenactment events. And it has definitely affected reenacting for me in some ways in terms of uh, availability of reproduction items. And there's considerations there for sure. But Ludwig, I think it has probably impacted people from what I'm seeing online in reenactor chat on the internet. I think it's affecting uh, reenactors in the United Kingdom more. Um, So I'm interested in hearing kind of your take on what the situation is like for you there. Yeah, there has been a, a significant backlash for a lot of events, a lot of big public events as a result of this. Um, and an almost hysterical response from some of the event organizers uh, in that they have either decided or been told by um, you know, sort of the senior management for these events to close them as a result of the war in Ukraine. Um, and obviously in terms of what that means for reenacting is, is, is sort of three years, approaching three years on the trot of, of limited events or less events uh, and a lot of big events mm. cancelled as a result of that. I saw that the sort of Hop Farm War and Peace show, which I actually went to in 2018, um, was cancelled. Was that because of this? I am not sure if it was cancelled specifically because of the Ukraine situation, the Ukraine war. Um, because I've, I've heard differing sort of things on this. I think I would assume it is because of, um, or at least in part because of. Um, but the, the, the announcement that they've made on their website, I think, is a bit different to that. Um, with regards to logistics and infrastructure and so on being a reason that they can't host it. It may well be the case that that is you know, just something that they've, they've said to, to move away from that. I don't know. I couldn't say with certainty, so that's just speculation on my part. Um, sure, it's hard to know. And Yeah. yeah. War and Peace was never... An, I mean, I attended War and Peace years ago. Funnily enough, that I think I was there the same year that the, the 2008 documentary Weekend Nazis came out, uh, which wasn't great for... Yeah, a lot of reasons, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I imagine not. I imagine not. Yeah, but, I, I mean, you know, a really big show cancelled again. And um, I think one interesting thing that I, I wanted to sort of bring bring to your attention, guys, was um, something I read that had been sent out to Soviet reenactors attending a show. Uh, it's not a show that I attend, but it's a big show down south. Uh, and if I can just read it out, just just a little bit of here. It is with regret that we must decline your group's attendance at this year's show. This will affect all Russian and Cold War depiction groups. 
The ongoing conflict in Ukraine has brought us to this decision. Uh, we were hoping against hope that a ceasefire and withdrawal of Russian troops may have occurred, which would have eased the situation. Uh, and, and, you know, so much so on in this vein. Uh, but also they are concerned about people blockading the showground entrance um, to protest uh, uh, Russian, you know, Soviet reenactors being present whilst the war in Ukraine is ongoing, which would then result, as they put it, and this is quoting them exactly, all of which will depict the show in a bad light. So that's the kind, that's essentially, not only are events being cancelled, but Soviet reenactors, often reenactors who have supported the same shows for years and years, are, are essentially now being said that they're, you know, being told that they're persona non grata, um, which is, in my view, absolutely disgusting, but I'm sure we can we can get into that. That absolutely sounds shocking and insane on so many different levels. It just sounds very reactionary to me and um, just sort of short-sighted, lumping, lumping people all into one group, um, generalizing, yeah. I just don't understand how you're going to have a uh, public display event where you allow people to portray the military of the uh, Nazi Germany but people who are portraying the military of uh, uh, one of the winning, one of the participants on the winning team who are allied with the Western allies, that this is somehow uh, inconceivable now because of modern political events that have, have literally nothing to do with the Soviet Union at all. I mean, it's, it just seems so uh, obtuse. I don't know. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It seems absolutely crazy. I mean, lest we forget that Russia and Ukraine were part of the Soviet Union. They were one country in World War II. They're Soviet war heroes who are Ukrainian, um, which is, you know, just fascinating to think of. We brought this up a little bit on the um, the Facebook page for the podcast, and uh, one of the listeners made, I think, a really astute point um, that there have been wars in recent years in which uh, British soldiers fought and died and reenactment events related to historical wars were allowed to continue but now there's this current war that theoretically doesn't involve uh, the British military and yet uh, for some reason now this war it's like a step too far to have military uh, war reenactment I just I don't even understand the viewpoint I can't make any sense of it yeah that does seem just odd well, it, it's ridiculous and it's totally knee-jerk. And a lot of it is, as it was with COVID, is um, almost a virtue-signaling reaction to a lot of this stuff. Like People didn't necessarily care about this a lot. Although the situation in Ukraine has essentially been brewing for the last 30 years, people now suddenly care about it. It's it's on their minds and, and, and that's what, you know, they want to be seen to be front of the queue and, and being virtuous about being sensitive towards it. Now... In the last couple of weeks, I've been to shows with Soviet reenactors, very well-attended public events, um, and I've been there with a, a good friend of mine who's a Soviet reenactor, walking through the streets. We did not have a single comment. Obviously, I was in German uniform, so you get the usual um, the usual comments that you get at any public show, which, if anything, is one of the main reasons, as we've discussed, not to go to them, but that's a whole separate discussion. But he didn't have any comments whatsoever. And the key thing behind that was that most people don't recognize the Soviet Union, uh, Soviet uniform, rather, the Red Army uniform at first glance. But also, when people did ask what he was portraying, um, and we talked to them about it. There were, there were no nasty comments. It was just sort of jokingly, oh, you'll not be popular at the moment now, sort of thing. Um, 
so I, I think from the organizer's perspective, it's a total knee-jerk reaction to what's actually happening. I think most people probably can differentiate between Soviet Second World War reenacting and the events currently taking place in the Ukraine. Um, but I think on all of these committees that organize events, there's at least somebody who's always going to go, oh, well, what about this? And we have to change the event for this. And I'm seeing events that are having Ukrainian flags flown, and um, which really, when you think about it, is also inappropriate because then you're tying reenacting to a, a current political event, which I think should, you know, you should also be working to avoid that as well. Um, so in that sense, I, I don't think the public are... You know, if they're going to go to an event, as you say, if they're going to go to an event and see reenactors betraying the Waffen SS, I, I, I don't see how they can get worried about seeing Red Army reenactors. Yeah, that's a very valid point. I mean, I have my own reservations about doing public events because of, you know, backlash to a German uniform, and now I thought Soviet was safe, and I guess Soviet is not safe, at least from the organizer's perspective. <laughs> Whether or not people can recognize what the uniform is, I mean, yeah. It's just, uh, it's so baffling to me. You know, I, I'm interested in history. I do this stuff because I'm interested in this historical period. I just can't imagine that there could be any modern current event that could tra take place that would change my perception of something that happened decades before I was born. You know, my, my historical interest is just totally not tied to modern, the modern geopolitical situation at all. And, um, to see that there's this this war that's going on um, and that it's kind of having an effect on historical reenactment, I, I suppose one could make some sort of a claim, right? I would not make this claim, but I guess I could see that someone might make the assertion that uh, doing some kind of war reenactment uh, during an actual wartime is... Uh, somehow in poor taste or whatever but particularly where the war that we're describing here is not taking place in the countries in which we live and doesn't theoretically involve the militaries uh, of the nations in which we live uh, you know and, and the fact that historical reenactment of wars did take place during uh, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan these wars that did uh, have uh, American and, and British military involvement. It just seems so so strange to me, and I I suspect that it has to do with the sort of a, a social or cultural change that is going on in our world at present, more than it is even about this particular military conflict, that it's just like uh, a social change on the whole. I mean, I feel like as a society, and this is a total sort of aside that could be untrue from a psychological perspective but as a society i feel like we kind of need an enemy and uh russia under mr putin has become the enemy of society that, that in the eyes of many and so all of a sudden russia is bad and um, anything that could be construed as being associated with russia including historical reenactment of a different country that preceded you know, the current Russian Federation is now seen as bad. Um, feel free to jump on that, Ludwig, Ludwig or Chris. Yeah, I, I feel that you are absolutely right. And it has gone to insane lengths now to the extent where people won't buy Russian products. They won't, you know, they, they won't deal with Russian people. 
Um, and it is it is part of this thing where society has to have a, a current issue, a current target, something to focus on. And, and I think it's in it, it, you could go into the sort of psychological element about it a lot. Um, but for us as reenactors, obviously it means that Soviet reenactors are now the sort of persona non grata, um, and they end up with that that bad reputation. But it, it it is interesting to see in terms of where you're talking about the tastelessness, if you wanted to put it that way. I can understand why people would be opposed to having um, battle reenactments at a time when there's an ongoing conflict. But as you say, there's been there have been wars ongoing for the last you know well the the, the entire time I've been reenacting there've been wars going and it hasn't stopped reenactors from shooting at each other in a public bowling green or running about a you know an MOD training site shooting at each other there either. So we were at a, a public event. Uh, pardon, pardon me, a sort of private event recently, but which also cross crossed across um, public ground because um, it you know can be difficult in, in areas in England to have public bridleways restricted in areas where you might be doing a reenacting event that's that's a sort of tactical event a, a little bit out of the way there might still be some public access to the site um, and we were portraying it was a five day reenacting event and we we were uh, portraying sort of German forces at the latter latter end of the war um, and we had reached the end of our ammunition and, and were surrendering to the Americans and they marched us down to this um, sort of containment area and it was it was really immersive and it was great and there was all, all of the Americans sort of standing about in their GMC trucks and their jeeps and so on and we were just sat down um, looking depressed as, as authentically as possible and I didn't notice this until it was already ongoing but a, a Land Rover had pulled up with a big Ukrainian flag on the front and a stop the war sign and a very cross gentleman was shouting at some of the American reenactors about how it was disgusting and that the war needed to be stopped and that this was totally inappropriate. And then he started trying to take pictures of us. So there was a, a duck and dash to get out of the way before that could happen. And he was driving his mm. Land Rover about the place. It was just the most bizarre, one of the most bizarre things I've seen at a reenacting event. Um, and it was very, very uncomfortable to have to deal with that. But I think that, especially over in the UK, um, but perhaps also in the United States, you guys might get this as well as people that have fixated so much on this this conflict and made it so much a part of their identity um, in the absence of everything else in order to to go on like this and to act like this towards reenactors. And I, I think there will probably be some more of that, especially at the bigger bigger events that are to take place throughout the summer in the UK, the big public events. I think we will we will more than likely see some more of that as well. Chris and I heard an account from somebody we know locally um, who was at an event, I guess, last weekend, and um, they were doing Yugoslavian partisan from World War II, and I guess because even though they, their camp was clearly identified in English with a sign saying they were portraying Yugoslavian, um, people basically saw their flag, um, and because of its similarity to the Russian flag, um, they basically were making rude comments to these people who were you know portraying a faction from world war ii from a country that doesn't exist from another country that doesn't exist anymore um and uh our associate basically said that uh, the kind of funny thing about this all was that these people were old enough to bit they should have been able to remember um when america was actually involved in the balkan wars in the 90s and so it just it would not surprise me if stuff continues to unravel and go sideways this summer. It's just really shocking. I mean, to to think that there was a local reenactment here, a public display, where the people who were 
uh, reenacting Yugoslavian partisans were taking more heat from the public than the people who were reenacting the Waffen SS at that event. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's it, there on some level. As much as I find all of this to be reprehensible, you know, and as someone who does World War II Soviet reenacting, I totally uh, feel the pain and empathize with people who are finding their reenactment opportunities limited because of this thing. Despite all that, there is a certain element here for me, if I'm speaking honestly, of schadenfreude where... Um, I know that there. I've talked to a lot of Soviet reenactors over the years who are like, I don't know how you can do German. I don't know how in in this society you think it's, you know, you you don't find that uh, people are going to automatically react horribly to any kind of German Nazi uniform. And I don't have the balls to do it. I'm going to do Soviet because it's safe and it's cool. And then all of a sudden, these people are doing something that's not safe and not cool anymore either. And it's like, well, how does it feel now? You know, yeah, I co- it does seem. Yeah, sorry, let me go I, ahead. I completely agree with that, and uh, in the sense that yes, I understand the position of the Soviet reenactors, but it is nice to not be the the, the, the baddest guy there. And at every public event that we've been to recently, um, or every private event where we've accidentally bumped into members of the public, and they've sort of seen this column of Germans looking haggard marching along, and and sort of asked us what what on earth are you doing? I just every single time I said to them, oh, we're off to fight the Russians, or we're off to stop the Russians, and the response is always positive and you know go get them sort of thing. Um, so at least we've got you know we've got some way to to no longer seem the baddest guys. That's really funny. I should steal that one. Definitely. <laughs> I, I would definitely, encourage everybody to do that. I see some, I think I would describe it as cognitive dissonance from some people that I know who reenact World War II Soviet, where I think they're struggling a little bit with, um, they used to have this uh, kind of get out of jail free card. I shoot fascists on the weekend. They have the moral high ground. They have the mainstream approved position and then all of a sudden these people I think are scrambling because it's like oh geez you know now I now I'm going to be maybe looked at and people are going to think I'm weird or whatever or you know I might have to answer an uncomfortable question or try to diffuse a potentially awkward confrontational type situation and it's just like I don't know I I don't want I wouldn't wish that on anybody but it definitely is funny to see somebody who's not a World War II German reenactor face with that. Yeah they've been effectively debased which is you know yeah, it's it's strange, really, to see. I didn't expect it myself. So, Ludwig, before we go any further, I mean, um, you know, Ben and I only have a very narrow and limited window into uh, what reenacting is like in the UK and in Europe. I mean, would you say there have been, like, several events that have been either canceled or stripped down or otherwise affected by this uh, modern turn of events? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to begin with, the biggest thing for all the public reenactors, public facing reenactors, and I know we've talked about this when I was on here uh, the first time I was on here, but the, the public railway events. Um, and forgive me if I'm getting some of the terms wrong here. I don't, you know, I don't put much stock into these events, but for for a, you know a weekend to get away, I guess that some people do do quite enjoy them. Um, but the the association or the, the Heritage Railway Association, which was responsible for the management of some of the, the largest sort of heritage railways in the UK, uh, essentially operated a blanket ban on all World War II events and told the local organisers for these railways that 
you know, World War II events would not be tolerated uh, and that they were not acceptable. So effectively, the, the organizers for these events were told, you know, no, no, no World War II events, no, no sort of Germans, no battles, certainly no Soviets. Um, and that's how it's got to be across the whole of, whole of all of their different sites. So that was for a lot of people. We had straight away for some of the sort of more public facing groups that I know, um, two major shows straight away uh, gone. And then obviously a lot of little shows as well. Two of these shows I know were were shows that they had supported for years and supported, you know, at their own cost, as we've discussed, reenactors travel to events at their own cost. They set up at their own cost. They take their own time, often time off work in order to do that. So that was a blow to them to see those events cancelled. But then in justifying this decision, the chairman, I believe, of the Heritage Railway Association went on um, BBC Radio 2, where he was interviewed by Jeremy Vine, uh, and, you know, sort of went on a long uh, discourse about how reenacting at this time is distasteful and not appropriate. And I think that it would be really useful if a lot of the reenactors that go to these events and, and patronize these public events look back on this and realize that actually the people that, that run these sites really have very little respect for reenactors at all. That would maybe be a useful time to start moving away from these sorts of gigs, as it were. Um, but beyond that, there's just been a rash of, of events of all different types and sizes cancelling in direct response to the Ukraine of, uh, situation and saying that they, they find it um, not appropriate to host events at the moment. Um, I could, you know, I can think of some off the top of my head, but I know that equally some of the biggest shows of the year are still set to go ahead. I, I organise a small event um, uh, based near where I live and I've sort of said to the Soviet reenacting groups that I know you're more than welcome to come if any members of the public are, are rude it, you know if they're, if they're you know really really causing trouble we can look at making sure that there are people on site to make make sure that doesn't happen and I, I personally wouldn't tolerate abuse of Soviet reenactors because I'm intelligent enough to work out that the two things are completely distinct even though some people seem to, to, to have trouble working that out so you know any Soviet reenactors in the UK listening to this uh, you can get your detail, get my details from Chris and, and come to my event because you can always use more reenactors there. Um, but broadly speaking, I think like COVID, it's just going to be another year where shows are radically reduced and curtailed. And it will just force more and more people that want to continue to do the hobby um, to look at private events, to, to look at organizing these things independently of event organizers, of site ownership. And it does that obviously does present some difficulty for some people. And a lot of people choose to do reenacting to deal with the, the public facing events. But maybe that's, you know, it's added a, an additional element to the already difficult side for German reenactors is that you now also have uh, events just being cancelled for things like this as well, for, you know, for Soviet reenactors, for German reenactors, for everybody. That is unfortunate. I mean, on a personal level, and I know things are different in the UK, but reenacting, for me, I prefer to have like a personal experience. I prefer to not have to deal with the public. But that said, there's a time and a place for a public event, and there's some public events that I do miss going to that have been cancelled because of COVID or other things, and that I wish I could go to again. And so it's just, it's sad. Across the board, it's, it's an L for everybody. Ludwig, I'm, I'm absolutely thunderstruck by what you're describing. I mean, it, I actually didn't even realize until hearing it from you just how extensive this really is. Uh, it's just shocking. I mean, I I never could have predicted this. It's It seems totally ridiculous. Uh, it, it, I just don't understand. Well, like I said, it, it comes from this sort of 
and I hate to bang on about it because I, I don't want to tie into the political thing at all, if avoidable, but in order to explain the way that it goes on, um, it, it ties into the virtual signaling thing and, and people want to be at the front of the queue for proving that when this is all cracking off, they were the ones that were most in step with with the, the consensus opinion. Um, and so as a result, on all of these committees that organize these events, whether they're independent or whether they are overseen by some you know, uh, oversight body, like, for example, the, the railway events are, are sometimes overseen by the Heritage Railway Association, regardless of whether it's that kind of arrangement, you will have maybe somebody, at least somebody on the, on the committee organizing who will raise concerns about whether the event is appropriate. And I think that there are things that reenactors can do to, to have a measured response to this and maybe choose not to do public battle reenactments, keep it just as living history um, in order to respond to that. But I think you are always going to have this regardless of where we where, where things go, where, where people are always going to see current events and, and use them to shut things down. And it was the same with, with COVID, where, you know, where, where we could have had outdoor events that would have been, you know, reasonably safe uh, and in line with the guidelines of the time. They changed so much in the UK, but in line with the guidelines of the time, we could have still had outdoor events that would have been acceptable to the guidelines and still event organisers were, were shutting these down. So you have to bear that in mind as well. It's really, for me personally, and I know for a lot of other reenactors, it's very distressing, but it is just a continuation of a situation that developed under COVID where events will be cancelled a few weeks before they're supposed to um, are supposed to happen and the, the reason will be given online and that, that's really it. There's nothing you can do. So it, it, it leaves us you know, being thankful for the events that we can get. And I, I had the same situation last year where I just went to everything. And I think at this stage... Regardless of, you know, we, t- we talk about this public events question a lot. I'm just going to go to everything that I can get to um, and just leave it at that. I think that's a good response. I mean, I, I struggle with this kind of thing, you know, whether to feel outraged and um, I, could, I could definitely see a reason to feel outraged and to be sort of galvanized into action by it. And I could also see that for some people this could just be totally demoralizing you know where people are just going to walk away and say uh to hell with all of this stuff this is ridiculous well chris you and i have talked about this a lot um it is honestly devastating um when you have an event that you might be excited for and then it gets it gets canceled um like last minute like the more last minute it gets it, it gets canceled like the more that gives people time to get excited for it, and then that makes the letdown even greater. Um, and so, and especially for some geopolitical reason, I can understand the frustration is immense. Yeah, I, I mean, it must be profound. I would think it would be profoundly demoralizing. You know, Ludwig, thinking back about the, the letter that you read, to hear they're voicing this idea that they're afraid of protesters uh, picketing at the event. It's so chilling to me because it's not like these protesters ever actually manifested anywhere, but they are just afraid of, uh, you know, social activist protesters showing up to, to make their event look bad. I mean, it, I mean, what, what is this? How, how does this bode well for public reenactments of any kind going forward? Yeah, there is the potential for that. I think the main thing is that what I hope is, is this is how it plays out, that these events cancel, and this is potentially the third time in the last three years that they've canceled. 
and then at the same time the bigger events which which sort of crack on they still go on we've got two big events coming up in the summer one of which is really big and has shown no indication of cancelling so far uh, these events go ahead and are massively successful and that is a, and there are no protesters or anything like that and it's just a testament to the fact that people really in the public if they're already willing to come to a show where you know uh, Waffen SS are portrayed they're probably not going to be too worried about seeing Red Army soldiers either and the event that I was just at um, I've been to two public events recently one of them was in Haworth uh, in West Yorkshire and that was you know ridiculously well attended it was absolutely people packed in like sardines on the streets um, certainly not the most authentic event by any means but no people with problems about uh, Ukraine or anything like that if and there were Ukrainian flags flying um, you know we could we could talk about whether that's appropriate personally I don't think it is but it was you know I guess their way of showing solidarity with with how they're feeling and still having the event at the same time conversely I've just come back yesterday from an event um, at Beaver Castle uh, near Grantham or Belver Castle I'm not sure that's pronounced correctly and that was fantastic really well received by the public we had you know your usual battle of the bowling green um, public battle reenactment to show off the the firing and so on and really well received by the public and no comments about the Ukraine so I think a lot of this is very much imaginary but it is certainly concerning that event organizers can be so scared by the hypothetical into just cancelling events which are potentially very well attended and very popular but also for themselves potentially quite profitable as well if they're privately run or if they are run by committees and so on they will need that money to to run the event in the future as well this is the first time I've ever heard the Battle of the Bowling Green phrase. What does that mean? <laughs> well, we know how ridiculous public battles really are. And, and in a way, if you wanted anything that was tasteless about Second World War reenacting, it would be the Battle of the Bowling Green. And it's really where reenactors <laughs> are brought to a show. Here's, a, here's an empty field. There's probably no cover in it. You might be lucky if somebody's put out a, a couple of ammunition crates or maybe there's a tree somewhere. Straw barrel, straw, straw barrel, straw barrel. yeah, straw yeah. barrel, or yeah. um, I don't know if you guys have ever had pallets, you know, sideways pallets, mm, or mm, 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 or even just a hessian bag that's been kind of strung out with two poles, so it looks like a, a beigeish wall, and then you have to have essentially the Second World War microcosmed into this tiny little bowling green, and everybody's packed together. That in reality, one one person with a submachine gun could just sort of spray them all, and that would be it. But because it it has to be. It has to go on as long as possible and look like Save It Private Ryan for the public. It's it's drawn out to uh, potentially dangerous levels where people are you know so close to each other shooting. Let me guess the grass the grass is perfectly manicured. It is perfectly <laughs> manicured every time. Actually, at this one it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It had just been it had just been mown. So I think everybody's hay fever was playing up. It <laughs> does give you an idea uh. of. Yeah, Battle of the Bowling Green, we can export that from the UK to the US, but I'm sure it's just as a... Excellent, I love it. Battle of the Bowling Green, that's really Fantastic. funny. But just to go back to it, the people that run these events, a lot of the time, I think they actually hate German reenactors. They have a very dim, and perhaps reenactors generally, but they have an extremely dim view of German reenactors. Um, and they cast all sorts of aspersions about German reenactors and their politics and whatnot. Um and it, it just brings me back to this. Why would anybody want to reenact and essentially bring in money and potentially, you know, bring in a lot of benefits for these people that, in fact, really, really quite dislike them? So I think, I hope that moving forward, reenactors start to think about this. I'm not saying that's the case for, and, and public shows, you know, you've got a totally different crowd of reenactors in a lot of cases. So I know a lot of the people that listen to, to this 
you know, the Reenactors Corner podcast specifically, this won't be relevant because they don't really do public shows and they don't care about them. That's totally understandable. But if any of them were, that they go to these railway events or similar events, if any of them were listening, I would just say maybe next year, think about do we really want to go back to these shows? Well, Chris and I have talked about how there's a place for everything. And um, even if public fortes are not your forte and they're not strictly my forte, but I have observed that, you know, with COVID and the change of the political climate in America and the world at large, as public events have declined, I feel like reenactment has been on the downturn as well in terms of its accessibility and popularity and numbers overall. So I feel like if public events go down, reenactment as a whole goes down, even if, you know, you or your unit isn't doesn't strictly do them. There is a knock-on effect. Well, that that's kind of a big picture thing, you know, and I'm sure that that's different depending on where people live. I'm sure there are places in the world where uh, private events are, are kind of on the upswing. Um, he, living here in America, I think that we are what we're experiencing, a, a large part of what we're experiencing is just a transition where reenactment as a whole, I think, in my opinion is going from being a rather mainstream thing that's kind of generally known about and sort of uh, lampooned in the culture and people know about the Civil War reenactment that you can go to, uh, you know, in your town on a, on a weekend in August or whatever it is. I think we're transitioning away from that and I think we're transitioning into a thing where reenactment is going to be more of a niche thing. You know, it's not going to have... The, I just don't even think it's going to have the public face that it has had. I don't think that it could maintain that public face, even if that's what we wanted. And, uh, you know, I think that's okay. You know, there was a time in American history where reenactment was not a mainstream thing. And nevertheless, it existed and people participated in it. And I think that's how things are going to be going forward. But I think it's, you know, we might have some fits and starts and it might be a little bit of a struggle for people to... Uh, sort of realize the way the wind is blowing here. That's my opinion anyway. I like that take, Chris. I think that's hopeful and not too gloomy. And uh, yeah, I I think that's that's solid. Ludwig, you mentioned the Ukrainian flags a couple of times, and I did want to just touch on that a little bit. I totally do agree with you that, um, in my opinion, modern politics should be totally avoided at uh, reenactment. I don't think that um, people should be I mean, to be perfectly honest, even um, like in America here now, gun control being a hot button issue, obviously a lot of reenactors are gun owners, a lot of reenactors are opposed to further restrictions on firearms that might affect the hobby. Despite that, I wouldn't even feel comfortable going to an event and setting up near somebody who has, um, you know, a pro Second Amendment, anti-gun control sign or statement anywhere having anything to do with their reenactment historical display. I think you're just opening the door to uncomfortable political uh, conversations. I don't think it has any place in our hobby. I think our hobby should be totally backward facing, meaning history facing and not having, you know, there. I really think there should be no tolerance in, in taking stands on modern political issues of any kind never mind controversial hot button type stuff where people are emotional about it it just seems um it seems like a recipe for disaster to me yeah yeah i agree i agree on that chris i do yeah 100 percent. and i would say that it, it applies in so many ways it applies firstly at a public event whatever uniform you're wearing you shouldn't be talking about politics it's inappropriate people have come away 
to get away from the world. The last thing they want to hear is is your talking on political subjects, no matter how, whether it's taxes or, or the war in Ukraine, whatever it might be. It's just not what we're there for. And I think that whether it's in that kind of area where the public can hear you or alternatively where it's internally in your group, I think, speaking from my own experiences, every single time we end up in a political discussion in the group, it goes badly and people dislike each other or start to dislike each other or briefly dislike each other for the wrong reasons because we've started talking about politics when really that's not where they're, why we're there at all. And when we're not talking about politics, when we're just enjoying the hobby that we love, everybody's getting along fine because politics hasn't been mentioned. Um, I think, if anything, if we, you know, politics is the poison when it comes to reenacting. The two are so totally incompatible. And I guess you could broaden that out to any hobby, really. People come away to do these things to not have to deal with the real world and all of its ongoings. And they don't want to think about any of this stuff. They just want to focus on enjoying themselves and doing what they're doing. And, and it should be completely backwards facing. And to tie it into modern, modern politics, no matter how, um, you know, how, matter, how objectively good you think a cause is or isn't, or how, whatever it may be, to tie it into modern politics is, in my view, a death sentence for reenacting. Because then people can turn around and just as easily they could say that, you know, um, you know, you're, you're, you're campaigning for all of these causes, reenacting is a fundamentally political hobby. Ergo, all of these people that choose to portray um, an SA formation, an SS formation, whatever, that's that's an inclination as to their political opinions, or vice versa, a Soviet formation. Uh, and as a consequence of that, then they can look at, at taking steps to address that in a way that I know a lot of people probably would, which would be to get rid of reenacting in any way that they they could. And I did notice. Just to touch on it, I did notice when um, we were discussing um, the Ukraine subject and, and, and discussing tonight's podcast, is somebody had, had commented on one of the, the posts asking about this, stating that um, history making and the telling of history is not immune to the current political milieu. If anything, it is a reflection of contemporary political discourse. I don't understand how somebody could believe something so utterly asinine but also so potentially devastating to reenacting. I think it's obviously somebody that really would like to see elements of the hobby shut down. Um, and I just, th- I, I don't know what your guys' opinion is on that, but to me it seems to be utterly ludicrous. I can't imagine um, anything taking place in, in modern society, culture, the geopolitical situation that is going to affect my passion for history and my interest in experimental archaeology or even learning about the material culture of the past or sharing that information with other people, whether it's online or even at, at certain public type events. It's just, uh, you know, I... I don't know. I, I, there's a the connection there just escapes me, you know. Um, and 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 it's like I look at even the guys in my own reenactment group and their political stances and opinions, and it just totally runs the gamut. There are people in there who, uh, you know, if you were to name any political or ideological issue, I think you know, within reason, you could find people even in just my small reenactment group that have opposite takes on that. And so, um, you know, we as reenactors, there should should not be any expectation that we should all speak with one voice really about any issue. You know, we all bring our own we all have our own politics, our own ideas and attitudes about things. But, um, you know, we're all interested in history. And that is why I think we should be here for me. Reenacting is a history related endeavor. It's not like 
that I'm just a fan of war. I'm not some kind of uh, military fetishist or fanboy. You know, the fact that there is a war going on and that militaries elsewhere in the world are going at it right now, that to me has nothing to do with my um, fascination with a period of history that happened long before I was born. You know, these things just, there's just connections that people make to this stuff that I just really don't see. Sure. I mean, I think um, in the past year, uh, I haven't done as many events because I've just been busy with my personal life, but I still am reading about, you know, things which happen in World War II every day. I'm still collecting, and I still plan on going to events. And so it's, uh, I don't, I don't see myself really changing all that much on this. Um, and uh, another point, I feel like this is a kind of a risky opinion to, to make, but uh, I've heard it said by, you know, people of a, an older generation that um, politics uh, used to be a little bit, a little bit more polite, uh, at least in terms of, you know, the parties respecting each other and people being able to find common ground. But in the last 20 years that, uh, you know, political candidates are just more rude to each other and people are just more polarized. And I'm not saying that People, like 20 years ago and before that, you know, people were very polite to each other, but uh, I do feel like there might be something to be said for that, where we we are living in a in a increasingly polarized world and there's a danger in that, and we're seeing it in the hobby now, too. Yeah, I I think there is a lot of danger um, in, in the future. You know, I definitely, I think, you know, we've, we've touched on this many times previously on the program, that um, reenactors need to have some sense that other people in the reenactment community aren't going to go blasting them on social media and, and creating an online outrage mob because they participate in this hobby, you know, and uh, it has been, I mean, if there's anything good about uh, this terrible, uh, horrible situation in, in Ukraine where people are suffering and dying, as, as far as it uh, goes to reenactment right it's that on some level i think this is an opportunity for us to see who's who a little bit you know there have been some comments uh that have come out that i've seen on social media from people where i realize okay well this person isn't necessarily the person who i thought they were or there's an ideological something there that's not what i would have expected you know i mean uh ludwig do you know what i'm talking about here at all um I know that there are people that I, I, I think as, as otherwise quite intelligent human beings that are not being in any way, they're, they're not looking at, at this in a sort of sensible step back way. Every single hysterical thing that comes out, they are first in line to, to believe it. Um, and it is made me very cautious about some of the people that I would choose to associate with otherwise, because if they're willing to believe that, what else are they willing to believe? Well, yeah, like, uh, you know, like I say, I do uh, World War II German and Soviet reenacting, and there's nothing that could happen in a modern political sense that could get me to stop doing one of those things. You know, the, everything that happened uh, up until 1945 already happened. And, uh, you know, World War II is over. There is no further development of World War II. On the other hand, I see people who suddenly, as a result of the war in Ukraine, um, 
are taking a totally different approach to how they view their own impressions. They're trying to distance themselves from aspects of reenacting that they previously had championed, although, you know, nothing has changed with reenacting, right? Something changed with uh, interaction between two nation states elsewhere in the world. And what I realize is, is that uh, these people are, in fact, they had they they maybe are on some level ideologically motivated, you know, where they are personally uh, mentally identifying with some other nation somehow in their mind. You know, I don't, I don't really understand it. I've seen a lot of, I feel like I've seen a lot of people kind of expose who they really are and how they really feel. And on some level, there's been some enlightenment that has happened for me through all this. Mm, sadly so. I mean, I feel like reenacting is inherently an escapist hobby. Um, and, you know, Chris and I, we've talked about sort of the atomization of social groups as a whole in society, which is its own topic. But um, I feel like, you know, some people, you know, for, you know, lack of whatever in their life, um, they might get oddly attached to, you know, some faction in a war um, thousands of miles away or something, you know? Um, so, yeah. It's my right, where people make it part of their identity. Exactly, you know, and they get worked up if somebody says something against that faction or in support of the opposite faction in a different country, you know, that they might not even have any sort of ethnic or, you know, cultural tie to previously. Um, you know, another aspect of it, and I'm, I'm not wanting to pick on anybody, and I certainly am not telling anybody how they should feel about anything, but um, to see reenactors... Uh, gleefully sharing what is essentially war propaganda on social media to support one side or the other. Um, I don't know. I just might have hoped on some level that across the board as historians, amateur historians who are interested in this wartime period that was so rife with propaganda, right, during World War II, that maybe there would be a little bit more awareness or introspection that would take place before people would eagerly lap up and repeat modern military propaganda but you know in some cases apparently perhaps not yeah yeah i've seen a lot of that you know a lot of what you could call fake news being shared around and whatnot and even beyond that just news that's definitely biased and i feel like the final record on the ukraine war we probably won't know everything you know for years down the line and uh if anything, I mean, it's insightful into how things might have happened or been perceived in World War II, but it's just—it's also kind of sad that people who study World War II are not immune to this, you know? I think it's fascinating in a sense, and it's awful that it's fascinating because it is an ongoing conflict yeah. and people are dying and, and, and everything that's going on there. But it, it, it does put this—this this was a question I put to, uh, to the guys in our group and that I thought about myself is, imagine if there had been social media during the Second World War. Would people believe these these things which are spread around, which are clearly false, which make no sense, which are logistically impossible, which don't correlate to the reality on the ground from what we can actually objectively see if we try and dig into it, really dig into it, rather than just looking at Facebook posts? Would they believe it in the same way? <clears throat> Would there be Facebook posts from German troops at Kursk, you know? Um, I think that side of it is very interesting. I think a lot of reenactors have, as you say, these people who I know very well who will fixate on things, research them constantly to try and get the answers, are accepting at face value uh, things which would seem to be just looking at the real looking at the real situation to be very clearly untrue. 
And I think in terms of looking at how the, the history of this will be written, that will be perhaps an interesting story all of its own, of the information war that's been conducted at the same time and how this has had such an impact on our society and seemingly shifted overnight tens of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people that didn't care about this issue to suddenly it's, it's, it's something that they care about tremendously and are extremely knowledgeable about. A lot of people I know who've never mentioned anything about the Ukraine, despite this being an issue since the 1990s, are suddenly, you know, great armchair generals on the subject. And they know the, they know the history of the Ukraine back to the Kievan Rus just by uh, the last, you know, since February the 25th, that's what they've become. So I think that side of things is very interesting. But I think what will happen um, for a lot of these people that are very invested in the in that sort of thing, I think they might get some very big surprises when the propaganda comes down. And that perhaps will, will draw some parallels with the Second World War, with some of the hysterical German propaganda at the end of the Second World War, uh, you know, sure. when they're trying to hold on and so on and so forth. But interestingly, I have noted this, the, the, this has come a lot when, when war crime stuff has been discussed, and I have had to sort of draw things back to where war crimes have been discussed historically. You know, during the First World War, there were a lot of stories about uh, the Germans in Belgium committing the most disgusting war crimes and these were fired by allied propaganda they were a, a, a big thing in the british press where they, this idea of the pickle halvering hun uh, stabbing babies to death and all sorts of wild stuff and of course all of this stuff became uh, became clearly untrue uh, in the post-war period but these things obviously have a lasting cultural impact and this idea of the russian as the you know storming through the ukraine and butchering his way through there and the, the fact that these stories are being believed without question. And I'm not saying they're untrue. I just think that as a lot of people who would, would view this thing skeptically would like to, to wait until things perhaps have cooled down before reviewing them, um, these things might be found to be untrue, but nonetheless will have a lasting cultural impact. And when things like that come about, I think I definitely wouldn't like to be a Soviet reenactor in that sense where people might be in this very heated attitude of, you know, everything Russian is bad. Um so that's why I think, in that sense, we should definitely look at these things with a bit of, and I would expect from reenactors who are so fixated on getting things right and focusing on things and researching things, perhaps a little bit more uh, of a discerning outlook. Well, what are re what are many reenactors fixated on getting right? Is it understanding the you know exact cultural and geopolitical situation from you know nineteen thirty nine to nineteen forty five, or is it the production of uniforms and helmets and whatnot, and what exactly is the exact correct, you know, style of hobnail to have in your boots. Um, I feel like reenactors run the gambit, but um, I feel like there's sort of cultural understanding and there's material cultural understanding, and uh, maybe you can sort of go all in on one, but then be a bit more susceptible to the other, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no doubt, and I completely agree. And you, you are, you are, you know, you're absolutely right in that sense. And reenactors can be very good at telling you what, what a mess kit is. And on the converse side, they can't tell you, you know, strategic level operations that that decided the Second World yeah. War. And that's kind of understandable. What I what I'm trying to convey is that they tend to, on their whatever specific element it is that they're they're talking about, they tend to focus and, and try to get things right. I know that's quite a, a perhaps you could look at that statement subjectively, but they try they try to be as accurate as as understanding of it as possible on whatever whether it's material culture or the actual history of the war, whatever it might be. So where where they're dealing with these stories which are often quite wild, 
you would think that they might take a, a similar approach, but apparently not. But maybe that plays into entirely what you've just said. And while somebody's very good at telling you where a particular model of Car 98 was produced, they're not very good at understanding geopolitics or strategic level operations or anything like that. Yeah, that's my unfortunate observation. And I, your mileage may vary, you know, but um, just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Um, Ludwig, we're running out of time. I wanted to ask you, uh, while I've got you here, um, how are things going with your group? Uh, good. Good. We are struggling with a couple of different things at the moment, I feel. Um, very strong numbers turning out, which is great. But we're sort of going through the process of merging another group into ourselves at the moment and trying to keep everybody at the same standard and, and trying to have the same sort of unit culture. Uh, equally, I'm still running the, the the long, long conversation with several different manufacturers based in the, the sort of the Far East and Pakistan uh, to try and finally get the perfected cuff title for portraying the different Felder and Haller formations, and that has been an, an ongoing and not very enjoyable sort of when we talk about reenactors focusing on things, trying to get them to use the correct weave and to print the text into the weave and all this sort of stuff. But I think I might just be on the cusp of that now. So once that's done, we can we can finally start getting those dished out. So I'm excited for that. Um, but all in all, I would say good. We've had some great events so far this year, and I'm I'm looking forward to the rest of the year. And ideally, it will Ukraine and everything else notwithstanding be a a, a good year for us. Um, yeah, it sounds like you're still keeping busy even uh, despite the event cancellations. That you still have plenty of events to go to. So that's really good. Yeah, as I say, this year is, for me personally, it's just going to be about going to as many as I can because I, I just get the feeling that it's going to be another summer of, of, of looking at events pages and seeing that the cancellation notice has appeared. But we'll uh, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for uh, peace for the Ukraine. And, uh, you know, like, uh, who knows? I mean, it, things things could get better. They could get worse, right? Let's hope they're going to get better. Yeah, fingers crossed. Think positively so to speak. <laughs> All right, Ludwig, thank you so much for coming on again. It's been really great talking to you again, and uh, I really appreciate you sharing your perspective and time, so thank you. Thanks. Yeah, thank you again, Ludwig. Nice to meet you, and uh, yeah, this is good chat. You too. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, so uh, so for, for Ben, Ludwig, and I, uh, to everybody else out there, I will see you in the field. See you in the field. We love hearing what you think about the podcast. So, why not let us know by reaching out in all the usual places, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for The Reenactors Corner, and you'll find us there. And maybe think about supporting us via Patreon. No matter how big or small, your monthly donations make a huge difference. And as ever, thanks to Mike, a.k.a. Retroman, for editing the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll join us here again at The Reenactors Corner. <laughs>